Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be here in the house of the Lord to worship Him. If you are here visiting, or if this is your first time here, then you probably are not familiar with the fact that I always say, welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church, not welcome to Harmony Bible Church. And the reason for that, we try to be purposeful in that, is to remind us that we are a gathering of people, that we're a group of of people who gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are indeed a family. And that if this building was gone tomorrow, that we would still be Harmony Bible Church. We might meet at the local school or at the VFW Hall or wherever, but we would still be Harmony Bible Church. So welcome to the gathering of this body, the gathering of this family. Those are hard words to say today as we remember our brother Richard who has gone home to be with the Lord. And though we are sad, I assure you, today he is not. So we gather together as a family, minus one, but we know that we will be reunited with our dear brother soon and very soon. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You for Your love. God, I pray for an extra measure of grace now. I pray that You'd be with us as we look to Your Word. God, that You'd help us to be hearers of the Word and also doers of the Word. God, that You would prick our hearts, that You would change our lives. God, that You would give us hearts to hear, ears to hear, and hearts to apply Your Word. God, I just pray and ask that You'd do a mighty and awesome thing in and through this time. Not because of me, but in spite of me. Not for my glory, but for Yours. And not for my sake alone, but for the sake of all the saints here at Harmony. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, and we're taking a a little bit of a break. Today, we're actually going to look at Colossians chapter 3. This is a text that should be somewhat familiar with you if you've been here any length of time, because we looked at this a few years ago here at Harmony, but I thought it was appropriate to look at this particular text because it deals with kingdom living, living in light of eternity. That this life is short, it is but a vapor. That it's here one minute and gone the next. And as you get older, you realize how true that is. That time almost seems to speed up. I'm still what I consider a fairly young guy, and yet every year gets faster and faster and faster. So I think it's important for us to consider what it means to live in light of eternity. What it means to live in light of the fact that this world that the world we live in is dying, that it's going away, and that we are indeed not going to be here forever. So with that in mind, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, verses 1-4 through 4 this morning. Why don't we look at that? If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, For the sake of time, the first point in our sermon outline is number one, kingdom living. 
Number one, kingdom living. Paul begins by saying, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The word translated seeking carries the idea of earnestly seeking after something. It carries the idea of serious pursuit. It's chasing after, going after something, being zealous for it, being serious about it. The idea is one of striving after something. When I was a kid, I started doing martial arts when I was, when I was little, and I didn't take it very seriously at first. But after a while, you have, to, you have to start taking it seriously or you're just going to quit. It's one or the other. You've got to become serious or you're going to quit. And eventually, it got to a place where I began to strive after it. I earnestly sought after my black belt. And I earnestly sought after growing in this art and this ability. And eventually, it actually became my God. It became all I wanted to do. All I wanted to live for was this thing, was this getting, getting the, next, the next belt, going to the next level. And you know what the the dirty secret of martial arts is? When you get your black belt, you learn there's 10 degrees of black belt. So then you got 10, you got 10 more things you got to do. And the chances of ever getting to that last degree to becoming a grandmaster, it's, it's, it's impossible. Nobody, nearly nobody does it. So you, it becomes, it can become an idol or a God. And praise God that at the age of 19, God picked me up from where I was. He turned me around. He set my life on a new course. And He called me to strive after something far greater than some colored belt or or stripes on a belt. But instead, to strive after Him. God called me to strive after Him and Him alone. This word, Seeking or striving is the same word that is used in the Gospel of Luke by the angels when they come to the woman at the, at the tomb and they say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? And it's the same word used in Matthew 6 where we read, do not worry then, saying what will we, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles seek after these things. This is Jesus speaking. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He says, but seek First, His kingdom. So don't seek these things, but instead, seek these things. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. And it's in this context in Colossians 3 that we see this word used as a present tense active verb. So the idea is one of continual striving. Continual seeking. That's why it's translated keep seeking. Paul undoubtedly had these words of Jesus, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness in mind when he wrote the command of the Colossians. When he wrote to them to keep seeking the things above. The term things above is used to set the things of heaven, the things of Christ's kingdom in contrast to the things of this world. He makes this clear, Paul does, when he says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is used throughout Scripture to refer to a place of power and authority. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority 
and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That sounds pretty inclusive. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So when Paul says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he certainly has heaven in mind. But he's not just referring to an eternal state of bliss or happiness. He's referring to the kingdom in which Jesus reigns and rules in righteousness. One in which he reigns and rules in righteousness, not only in the age to come, but also in this age. In other words, it's the same kingdom we saw promised in Zechariah when we were studying Zechariah a few months back. If you were here, you remember that God promised Zechariah a kingdom without walls. A kingdom where the Lord Himself would be a fire around her and a glory in her midst. And this is a kingdom that exists today. It's a kingdom where Christ reigns and rules over the life of the church. He is our King We are His subjects. We are His servants. We are His followers. But it's a kingdom without walls. So we must not pursue or seek our own little kingdoms. If you remember from the book of Haggai, people were building their own homes, and the Lord said, Is now the time to build your homes while the house of the Lord lies desolate? Is now the time to seek your kingdom instead of seeking the kingdom of God? You see, we must seek His kingdom and His righteousness. You know, as a pastor, I visited a number of people in the hospital and a number of people where death was imminent. And you know what? Not one of them has ever said, you know, I really wish I had spent more time at work. Or nobody ever said, You know, if I had it to do all over again, I wish I'd built a bigger life, a bigger house, bought a bigger boat, driven fancier cars. No. Instead, when someone's lying on their deathbed, they typically begin to ask themselves what they've done with their lives that will have lasting value. They ask themselves, what have I done that will have an impact long after I have left this world? And that's a question that we should not wait to ask until we come to the end of our lives. The question we should ask now is, are we living in light of eternity? Are we seeking the things above? Are we seeking seeking His kingdom and His righteousness? Are we pursuing His kingdom? Or are we submitting ourselves to Him and His rightful reign and rule over our lives? Or are we building our own little kingdom? Hopefully most of us would say that we want to pursue His kingdom. We want to live under His rule and under His authority. We want to live a life that honors and glorifies Him. So the question is, are we actually doing so? So having seen the first point in our sermon outline, number one is kingdom living. Number one, kingdom living. Let's consider the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is number two, kingdom thinking. Number two, kingdom thinking. Look back at today's text with me. Colossians 3.2, Paul continues and says, 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. The Greek literally says, be minded about things above. This issue is a matter of focus. And Paul's not advocating physical denial of all earthly things. You need only to look back to the previous section where Paul said that rules such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, that those things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Instead, he's talking about putting all things in their proper context. So the point is not, don't, you know, don't buy a house, don't buy a fancy car, don't, do, don't have any material possessions. I had this conversation with Dale actually. The other day we were sitting with Richard in the hospital and we were talking about how much is too much? How much should one person have? And how do, you, how do you know? And ultimately, the question you have to ask is, am I seeking His kingdom, His righteousness? Am I living under His rightful rule and authority? Or am I seeking to build my own kingdom? Because you know what? You can have very little and selfishly hold it all for yourself and have it for your glory, or you can have a great deal, a whole lot, and use it for His glory and to build His kingdom. I was talking with a a fellow pastor and he was talking about a church plant that he planted and he said, you know, um, I said, how are you doing financially? That's usually a question that church planters get asked. How are you doing financially? Are you okay? Are you... Is the church supporting you? And he said, he said yeah, the, the Cecil B. Day Foundation was able to give me a $15,000 grant for this year. So uh, with the church's support and this grant, I'm able to work full time. And there's an example of somebody, Cecil B. Day, who had a great wealth, who had a lot, started days in and took that money and used that money for God's glory. So it's not about just not having anything. It's not about making sure that you follow these set of rules whereby you, you have nothing of earthly value, but that you use that which you have for His glory. The same root, be-minded, in, uh, we see used in Mark 8.33 where we read that Jesus rebuked Peter. And He said, get behind Me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests. You're not, you're not minded on God's interests. And Paul uses it in the same way in Romans 8.5 when he says, for those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, their focus is on the things of the Spirit. The things that have eternal value. So if we're going to pursue kingdom living, we must cultivate kingdom thinking. That's why Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. He says, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. We've talked about this a lot. That oftentimes with counseling, somebody will come and they'll say, They'll say, I'm doing this horrible thing. There's this action in my life that needs to stop. And this is true for all of us. There's things in our lives that probably need to change. And we say, oh, I need to change this action. And you go to a secular counselor, and the secular counselor says, well, let's talk about your feelings. 
How do you feel when you do this thing? And they'll say, How, what was your childhood like? How did your mom treat you? How did your dad treat you? And those things may have some value in affecting the way we act, but we need to take a step back. We know that emotions affect actions. That if, if I'm tired and Kim says, will you take the dog out for a walk, right? That my emotions are often going to get in, uh, in touch with me very quickly and I'm going to say, I don't want to take the dog or I'm going to, I'm going to respond in a negative way. But what needs to change is not just my emotions, but instead my thinking. See, what we need to realize is that thinking produces emotions, and emotions produce actions. Thinking produces emotions, emotions produce actions, which produces more thinking, more emotions, more actions, and ultimately builds character. So what needs to change is our thinking. That's why we're called to renew our mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing, the changing of your mind. In other words, we need to think biblically. We see this throughout Scripture. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely, he who walks proper thinking, will be delivered. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind that we need to think biblically. And that's what I want you to do. I want to cause you to think through biblical principles. And to have kingdom thinking. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What that means is that when I'm tired and Kim says, will you take the dog out for a walk? That I think in a way that's biblical. That I'm called to be a servant. That Christ died for me. That I have an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. That when I think biblically, then the response that comes out of me is, yes, honey, I'd love to take the dog for a walk. You see, we're called to take every thought captive. And while that may sound funny, and it is funny, The reality is we know people like that who do think biblically and think like Christ. And when they think like Christ, when they're provoked, goodness comes out of them. I hate to belabor it, but i got to do it. I just have to do it, right? Because Because many of you haven't seen this. And it wouldn't be honoring to Richard if I didn't do this, right? So, so, um, uh, I don't even remember how it goes now. the, the, The cold's getting to me. Right, so, so what's happening? Water's coming out of the bottle. Why? Right, because there's water in the bottle, right? It's not because the, the bottle's being provoked. So when the wife says, honey, will you take the dog out? And anger comes out of me. The problem is not her provoking me by saying, will you take the dog out? The problem is anger is what's inside of me. You see, if there was milk inside the bottle, milk would come out of the bottle. What's inside the heart is what comes out when provoked. 
And we need to change our way of thinking. We need to think biblically and have kingdom thinking. Consider lastly this from, um, on this kingdom thinking. Philippians 4, verses 4-9, through 9, where Paul says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your spirit, your gentle spirit, be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds pretty good. The peace of God's got to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Great! So how do we do that? He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. And, then he says, and the peace of God will be with you. So he says, have the peace of God. Let the peace of God God guard your hearts and your minds. And he says, and the way you're going to do that is by by focusing on, focusing on what is true, what is right, what is honorable. Dwell on these things. And the peace of God will be yours. You see, if you want the peace of God, then dwell on what is right, true, and honorable. And the peace of God will be with you. In other words, set your mind toward heaven. Think biblically. And whenever we talk about being heavenly minded, the old quote comes to mind. It says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Well, to that response I say, really? Like really, is that really a concern? Are you really concerned that you're going to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? That may be a problem in some churches, but I'm going to tell you right now, that's not a problem in Harmony Bible Church. I know all of you. Right? There is no chance that all of you are going to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I know it's not a problem in my life. It's not, a, it's not a struggle that I have. I love the way John Piper addresses that question. He says this, Yes, I know it is possible to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly use. My problem is, I've never met one of those people. And I suspect if I met one, The problem would be not that his mind was so full of the glories of heaven, but that his mind is so empty and his mouth is so full of platitudes. I suspect that for every professing believer who is useless in this world because of otherworldliness, there are a hundred, I would say a million, who are useless because of this worldliness. You see, we need to have kingdom thinking. So having seen kingdom living and kingdom thinking, that we're called to seek the things above, we're called to live in such a way that we're cultivating kingdom thinking and setting our minds on the things of heaven, on Christ and His rule and His reign and what is honoring to Him. Now let's consider the third and final point in our sermon outline. The third point is kingdom resting. Kingdom resting. So we've seen kingdom living, kingdom thinking, and kingdom resting. Paul continues on in verses 3 and 4 and says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him 
in glory. In other words, he says, you've been made new. You've been born again in Christ. So your hope is no longer in the things of this world. It's no longer in the kingdoms of this world. Our hope is in His kingdom. It's the same thing that Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the point is, we have an inheritance in heaven that is reserved for us. Furthermore, he says, we have died and our life, our inheritance, is hidden with Christ in God. And in light of that, we eagerly wait. We live for Him. We live for His glory until the day He will carry us to glory with Him. You see, our inheritance is not here. But it's a very real and sure inheritance. I use the point kingdom reality because Paul writes in such a way that he's expressing that it's done. He says, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, this has already happened. It's been accomplished by Christ. Your your inheritance is sure and real. So we've seen kingdom living that we're called to seek the things above. We've seen kingdom thinking that we're called to set our mind on the things above. And kingdom resting that we indeed have been given an inheritance in the kingdom and we need to rest in His glorious provision for us. So the question is this. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and specifically, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives. How do we take this this message and then live it out? How do we apply it? How do we live in light of it? Well, we need to first rest in His gracious work. We need to understand what resting in His kingdom means. We need to look forward to our future inheritance. We need to make sure that we are sons and daughters of God. That indeed, our inheritance is going to be obtained not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. That though we were sinners, that He came, that He lived a perfect, sinless life, and that He died on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven. And that when we rest in His grace, when we remember that our inheritance is not here, but instead it's stored up in heaven, when we remember that, that leads to kingdom thinking naturally. I say this often, we need to remember the gospel. And I believe that we need to, I believe that this is something that believers need to be reminded of again and again and again is the truth of the gospel. That when we remember the gospel, it naturally leads to thinking biblically. That if I'm remembering that Christ died for me and my wretched sinfulness, that when the wife says, will you, will you take the dog out? It's probably not that big of a deal. 
So we need to rest in our inheritance, rest in the fact that our inheritance lies in what He has done, His gracious work, and that leads to kingdom thinking. And kingdom thinking naturally leads to kingdom living. So with that, we need to run. We need to run with endurance, knowing that He's faithful to carry us through to the end of the race. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, has, sh- has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has all rule, all authority, that it is all His. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, so we should fix our eyes on Him and run for that prize. So we run with endurance. And what does running with endurance look like as we pursue kingdom living? Well, it means that 1 Corinthians 10.31 must always be the Christian goal. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. And in that, we need to be obedient to the great commandment to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. To love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, we need to go out and and make disciples. Going to all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And we need to remember that this life is brief that this life is but a vapor, and that the trials of this life, that God's going to use them for His glory and our good. That ultimately, that Scripture promises that He's going to continue to mold us and make us and use circumstances of life to mold us and make us into the image of His Son. That's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 teaches. Not that everything that's going to happen in your life is going to be good, but that He's going to use it for good. And what does that good look like? It's going to make you more like Jesus. I don't know how many times I talked to Richard uh, over the past year about why. What, what's, what's the purpose? What does God have in, for me in this? And, and not, not so much that Richard was, was saying, I don't understand, or, or not, not so much he was saying, why, why me? He was just saying, why? I'm curious as to know why. I, I just want to know what's really going on. What, what is God doing? And I said, I'd say again and again, Richard, God's growing you through this. And there may be no other purpose. It may have no impact on anybody else whatsoever. God is using this for good. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Right, And then verse 29 tells us what that good is. So that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. I said, Richard, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's hard to see that in yourself sometimes. But I'm telling you right now, it was easy to see that in the life of a brother who's growing to be more like Jesus. So we need to remember that. We need to fix our eyes on heaven, not fix our eyes on this life, not pursue the things of this this world, but instead be used of Him and live a life that has eternal value by His grace 
and for His glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, I pray that You'd be with us. God, help us to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. God, I pray that You would help us to rest in the inheritance that You have given us, to rest in Your gracious work through Your Son Jesus on the cross. God, that we would find peace in knowing that salvation is a gift. That salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. But God, that as we rest in that, that would change our minds in such a way that our minds would be renewed, that we would be zealous to study Your Word, zealous to live for You and for Your glory. And God, that Your Word would have its perfect result in us, that we would grow and that we would live kingdom lives. God, that we would pursue Your kingdom and Your righteousness. That we would seek those things, that we would strive after those things first. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.